Women Who Rock. Women Who Rock. Women Rock. Women Who Rock. Women Who Rock. Women Who Rock. Women Who Rock. Hello and welcome to Women Who Rock, a podcast promoting female musicians and artists. Today I am joined by Brooklyn-based Australian producer Brux, who just released an EP called Bad Boy, which is actually the second release for the year. Brux, thank you so much for chatting to me on the podcast. Thank you. Hi. <laughs> it's great to chat to you today. Um, so we're going to be talking about your the kind of awesome EP you've released quite recently called Bad Boy. Uh, mm-hmm. But before we do that, I wanted to discuss um, the previous EP Take because yeah. I, I read that uh, a remix of one of the tracks on Take was actually featured on the EA Sports F1 game for 2022. So yes, <laughs> congratulations. Thank um, you. Tell us a bit about how that came about and whether you have played Formula One 2022. Well, um, so firstly, the remix came about through a good friend of mine, um, Pat Locke, who I actually collaborated with um, on my Bad Boy EP, on, on the track Bad Boy. Um, so Pat and I have been writing together for a few years. Um, I did a remix for him back in 2020 for his track Free Fall. Um, and, yeah, I've been wanting to get a remix off him for one of my tracks for ages. So it just so worked out with timing that he was able to remix Take. Um and yeah, that that remix that he's done has received so much love and support um, since its release, and we were so lucky that um, you know it was chosen to be a part of the the um, soundtrack, which was totally random. Um, that came through Deadbeat, so the label that I re- I released the Take EP through had that offer come through and they oh, right. okay. brought it to us. And they're like, what do you guys think? We're like, oh, hell yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> like, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The first time that I'd ever um, had a track on, on a video game. So that was pretty awesome. And and the answer to your second question, no, I have not played it yet because I don't own a PlayStation or Xbox. Right. Um, I don't, I, Are you I much of a gamer know. in general? I am, but much when I was much younger, you know, I I stopped playing games like I w- I would play Nintendo, um, and Wii, and also GameCube, um, N sixty four. Like I'm a Nintendo gal. <laughs> right. <laughs> I okay. I stopped playing, you know, in my twenties. Um, I'm in my thirties now. I kind of wish I did have a a console. Um, but I think I would procrastinate even more than I already do. So sure. it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> you know, we have probably direct similarity in everything you just said. Oh, really? <laughs> this would be a gamer too. I don't own a console. I'm in my 30s. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I do remember as a kid uh, playing Tony Hawk, Pro Skater, yeah. <laughs> and having that soundtrack embedded in my soul. Mm. Um, yeah. After playing it for so many times, and I'm mm-hmm. finding a lot of cool bands as a result of doing that as well. Um, yeah. So that could be really yeah, cool, totally. you know, a, a bunch of 
F1 enthusiasts look you up and start listening to your yeah. music. The play the playlist for the um for the game, it's very electronic focused. Mm, it seems to be the trend these days. Hey, like a lot more of these um you know agencies are, are searching for music that is more electronically focused, which is which is great. Let's talk about New York. Mm-hmm. Um at the beginning of last year, you moved to Brooklyn. Uh, and I saw you say that you really enjoy the energy and the chaos. So mm. is it the the vibe of New York that you're kind of uh, getting energy from? Or is it related kind of specifically to the mu- music scene that you've sort of put yourself into? I feel like, I feel like it's the energy that I pick up on in the city. Um, right. Because I feel like it's very much uh, a whirlwind over there. Um, in terms of like every single day, you just you just have no idea what opportunity is going to come your way, especially in the music scene over there. Like there are just so many artists passing through, um, you know, playing shows, doing talks, um, and you just get thrown in like a session or you'll be at a dinner and then someone else will turn up and they'll be like, I don't know, someone who you really admire and look up to. It's just... I've had some of these crazy experiences in the last year where it's just kind of added to the excitement and and also maybe the stress as well, but it's like stress in a good way. Right. Um, it, it has such an urgent uh, energy about it, the city in general. So I feel like, you know, I've taken that on with, with how I write now. Um, yeah, which feels really authentic to me. You know, I... I kind of live in the moment and, and I just am really embracing every single opportunity um, that comes my way. Okay, that sounds great. And, I mean, you were, you were making music in Sydney for a good while before you moved. Mm, yeah. Uh, how, how would you contrast? Is it just more that you think there's more opportunities in New York? Yeah, definitely. I think there are way more opportunities in the U.S. in general. Um, like a lot of a lot of artists um, have made the move over to LA or New York, mostly LA, I guess, um, more for like session writing and, and, and pop music. Um, but yeah, you know, the pool is just much bigger over there. Um, it's kind of like a, a way higher ceiling as well. Um, whereas, yeah, I don't know, like, I think with like underground electronic music back in Australia, it, it is quite hard to, um, you know, find a large following um, or really like cut through. It, right. It's just difficult. And, and you know, COVID really didn't help um, help the cause because a lot of these venues that, that have been the birthplace of so many artists um, over the years, like Alice in Wonderland, like Hayden James, all starting out in the cross, you know, when those venues were around, like Candy's Apartment, um, where else, World Bar, Hugo's, like so many places were just iconic um, for forming these communities. But, you know, with COVID as well, as well as on top of the lockout laws, so many of these venues have just gone under. Um, mm. So, you know, that's that's really taken a toll. I feel like for me it was just a, a combination of the both, um, both things that kind of, you know, helped me make my mind up about, you know, deciding that it's time to try somewhere else. So Right. 
okay. so far it's been really really positive um and i love it i really love new york well that's great to hear and i guess we're uh <laughs> looking forward to the con- continuity of the chaos and what how <laughs> it influences your music yeah um i wanted to bring so when you were in sydney uh you were releasing music under uh, a different moniker under elizabeth rose uh, mm-hmm. But now the the project that you're working on is called Brax. I was wondering if you could tell us maybe about something related to the you know the desire for anonymity as part of a switch from using like literally your name to to Brax. Mm-hmm. Yep, I knew that I wanted to finish up with my Elizabeth Rose project um, when it got to the point of me feeling like I was releasing music that did not sit uh, sit right with me. I, I realised that I was starting to release music that I didn't love um, and, you know, this was all happening when I was like 25, 26. I, I really did go through quite, quite a shift um, in wanting to completely change up, you know, just the, the trajectory that I had going Um in, in search of a more authentic path. And it was extremely stressful. Uh, I really didn't see, you know, a road in front of me. I really had no idea, like, what was ahead. Um, and it was a huge risk to really abandon that project and and leave my management and leave my label and booking agent. Like, I was really alone there <laughs> for a good while. Um, but I needed that. I really needed that disconnect. Um, and it was in that time that I decided to just start something that felt, um, you know, what's the right term? I guess like I didn't want to feel confined to any formula or um, any kind of aspect of being predictable or I don't know. I just I just really wanted to break free from any confines. Um and also I wanted to move away from having an ultra-feminine presence as well. That kind of thing came from my experience over the years of being treated differently as a female in the industry, of being a female producer. Um, so there was that in the mix as well that kind of helped my decision of like, you know, I'm going to start again. How do I want to be perceived from the get-go? Um, so I pretty much wanted to remove any judgment um, of gender or identity. I just wanted it to be about the music. Um, and that in itself was really freeing for me. I felt like it allowed me space to really experiment um, and, and just to get out some really interesting ideas. I, I just I, I felt totally free. Um, and so Brux, the actual name Brux, is just shortening of Bruxism which is when you grind your teeth in your sleep, which is something that I do. So it ties back personally to something that, you know, I do. <laughs> um, but it also has quite a punchiness and like a, you know, a masculine, like powerful edge to it. So that's what I really was going for with starting the project. Yeah, it's interesting that you mention a kind of like a movement away from femininity. So mm. I had never really thought about it, but if someone showed me your music and said, this is Brux, what mm. do you think the gender of this artist is? Mm. I would say, well, first I'd say I don't care. Um, mm. But then I would say, I don't know. Um, mm. I guess it really is, uh, I guess because there's 
it's not as much focus on on vocals it's more mm. kind of heavy electronic music mm. um that yeah maybe and I, it sounds like a very wholesome story that you're kind of moving away from something from where you felt kind of constrained mm. moving to something which was more kind of authentically you and then a couple of years later you feature on an ea video game um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very glad to hear that you were able to kind of go through that transition and maybe maybe going overseas has kind of amplified the kind of the fire for that project. Um, yeah, it really has. Mm-hmm. I think it's time to listen to some music. Great. Um, I think everyone must be in, in the mood now to hear some Brucks. So <laughs> I want to hear a track off. So this is a track off the recent EP Bad Boy. Um, yeah. And the name of the track is Vinegar Hill.
The track that we just heard was called uh, Vinegar Hill off Brox's most recent EP, Bad Boy. Um, so I was wondering, uh, can you tell us a bit about the, the message in this track, which kind of really ties this EP together? Yeah. So Vinegar Hill, for me, is about uh, self-empowerment, really. Um, the lyrics in it and the chant that I'm that I'm singing in it is, you know, speak up, live a little. And then I've got this grunt that I put in, which is like the, Ugh! <laughs> which was really fun to record. I'm not going to lie. Um, yeah, that, that, I feel like that's a message that I wanted to send myself. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe people around me as well, if that resonated, like, it came it came from a place of just uh you know again again thinking about living in the moment and um you know speaking your mind and saying what you mean and meaning what you say it's just that sense of urgency again um that that really came through for me in the message of this song um and then you know the title of the track vinegar hill i didn't really put too much thought into that i really love i really love the name because it's the name of a suburb um, that I live near in Brooklyn. So Brooklyn oh. um, has a suburb called Dumbo, which stands for Down Under Manhattan Bridge Overpass. Um, and next to Dumbo is this tiny little uh, suburb called Vinegar Hill. It's so old. It has the most beautiful cobblestone streets, um, only about, you know, maybe four or five blocks in size. Um, and I would walk there through Vinegar Hill to get to Dumbo every weekend, um, you know, when we first moved, just to kind of get um, an idea about, you know, bearings of the of the of Brooklyn of Dumbo, sure. and also because there was an antique market <laughs> in Dumbo every weekend. So you know, on these walks, which would last forty minutes or so, um, those would be times when I would bring, you know, my demos. Um, and a headphone, uh, you know, a pair of headphones, and I would just listen to what I was working on on these walks. I don't know. It was kind of like a an inspiring moment in time for me. I remember those months of just listening to what I was working on and just getting really amped up, <laughs> just trying right. to like self inspire myself, you know, myself. Um, so yeah, I just chose the name of that suburb. It's like fuck it. It's a great well, name. Sorry. <laughs> I love the name. And it seems as though, I mean, the ethos of that song is really kind of represented in your movement yeah. to, yes. uh, all the way across the world to Brooklyn. So it seems quite mm -hmm. apt that there's a place name in the, in the title. Yeah. And, and also like the name itself, I just get this image of like a really gritty, um, you know, edgy, raw, which is vinegar for me. I personally don't love vinegar in general, <laughs> flavor-wise. So it's a very, like, abrasive flavor um, mm. and, you know, an assault to the senses, which I feel like sonically what, what this song is about as well. Um, I agree. So yeah. I, I think abrasive <laughs> is a great description of vinegar. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it really yep. is. And, you know, I mean, I've moved to the UK recently and the thing is that mm -hmm. they can't eat fish and chips without malt vinegar. True. Yes. I still don't understand because it yeah. is abrasive. 
Yeah. Oh, it's nasty. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad we're in agreement. <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing. Can we talk about economics? Sure. I don't usually say that on this show, but mm-hmm. um, I was reading that you kind of uh, were in the world of NFTs to kind of help to uh, yes. fund the EP. So yep. can you help us to dip our toes into that world and kind of give a bit of an explanation about how that works? Sure. Yeah. So, so the world of NFTs and like cryptocurrency, that space is known as Web3. Um, and I first kind of dabbled in Web3, oh, when was it? Maybe like October, November last year. So almost 12 months ago now. Um, I was hearing a lot about, you know, artists such as Blau um, and Boys Noise releasing NFT collections um, in order to fund their music projects. And I remember hearing about this and questioning, like, what? What is an NFT? Why would you, why would someone want to purchase, you know, something that's like a token or a digital asset? Like, how, where is the longevity of that, you know? Um, I didn't understand much about it. Um, so, you know, I joined Twitter. I joined Clubhouse. Um, I made a Discord. I started joining Discords. I just really wanted to learn about the community and what this whole world meant um, because it was really popping off. (laughs) And it just made me think like, okay, you know, if this is a thing, I'm not making any money at the moment from touring or streaming. So I want to self-release something. Maybe it makes sense to kind of crowdfund um, within Web3. And, um, you know, it took me a good six months of just, you know, learning the ropes um, and like asking a lot of friends about it who were into it as well and starting to sell NFTs. Uh, Patlock, again, my friend of mine who I've collaborated with, he was the person that got me into into this whole world. Um, and, you know, that's that's how I was onboarded to a platform called sound.xyz. And through sound, um, I've been able to release audio NFTs. So think of them as like, um, you know, limited runs of vinyl copies of a song, you know, pressings, limited pressings. So basically each NFT, each digital asset has what's called, basically it's like, basically it's like a barcode, an individual imprint. That means that um, the whole world can see that if I own a Brux NFT of that particular song, I own just one of one of that particular thing because I see that it's only one type of barcode. So it's like an interesting world where you can sell, trade, collect, um, you know, rare digital assets that have been imprinted with rare uh, rare codes. Codes? So I don't think codes are so it's unique, right? It's like digitally yeah. unique. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like trading Pokemon cards. <laughs> <laughs> Except I, that Pokemon card is like the one specific yeah. one. It's like digitally unique. Okay, that's yeah. great. But are the yeah. is the, so this audio that you're um producing is this NFTs. Are these mm. um parts of the EP that you're releasing or are they yeah. completely Ah, they are. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So they're songs that I released in Web2, which is like Spotify, DSPs. Yeah. But I also released them um, as audio NFTs in Web3. And so 
you know, my first two audio NFT collections on sound were um, my song Push off the Take EP and I think Step Down. I think that was, that was the other one. Yeah. So those two I released and it was through the sale of those two collections that I was able to raise money to fully fund uh, the Bad Boy EP. And I, yeah, right. you know, it was such an interesting experience because I was finally able to execute all the ideas that I had from the get-go without budget constraints. Um, you know, obviously there was a limit to the budget, but at least I had a bit more, you know, money to work with rather than just say, I don't know, $3,000 for a whole EP, which is very, um, very limiting, but also very normal for a lot of independent emerging artists. You know, mm. whereas I, I had about 12 grand to work with. So, um, you know, I paid for mixing, mastering, photo shoot, press shots, um, artwork, uh, what else, what else, um, PR for US, PR for Australia, radio servicing, um, you know, getting live visuals done. It There's so much that goes into it that I don't think people who aren't in music realize just how much this costs. Mm. Um, and, yeah, you know, that having those funds really allowed me to execute exactly what I had in mind for this EP. Um, and it, and it went really well, you know, I had a really great response, um, from fans and, and a good response from, uh, online publications that I love that I, that I follow, you know, like DJ mag and Forbes and, um, mix mag. It, it was just really awesome. Um, you know, the feedback I had. So I'm kind of just on this path now of like, okay, great. Well, I, I want to keep doing this, you know, if I can retain, you know, my masters and retain most of the royalty cut and just use a distributor, then why can't I keep keep doing this? You know, like what what can a label offer me um that I can't do myself? I don't need a bank loan anymore, you know. If I can self-fund it, then wh- why not do it? It sounds like, yeah, this technology is really I'm hearing that it's like providing you with more agency. It gives you mm. much more control over what you're doing. Definitely. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, like having full control as well, like that, as much as there, there are so many pros to that, there's also, you know, the stress of like having to decide all of that. At the time of doing this, I was also without management. Um, I still, you know, I'm between management at the moment. So I was really independent <laughs> in every right. sense of the word with this release. So it was quite a stressful time, but I learned so much. I really got to see how the machine works. Um, mm. I, it's, yeah, it's an experience I, I don't regret having. It was fantastic. Okay, so you're back in Australia um, at the moment for a little while. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're going to be up to while you're here? Yes, so I'm back here for some shows. Um, I'm actually playing like a a live tour um, that kicks off tomorrow night. So Friday, the 7th of October, I'm playing in Melbourne at Yaya's um, alongside another awesome artist by the name of Fora. Um, so tomorrow night's show is a live one. Then I've got a DJ set club show in Sydney on the 16th at 77. 
Um, and then after that, I'm actually doing a festival run um, in regional areas. A festival is called The Grass is Greener. So I'm playing Gold Coast, uh, Canberra, Cairns and Geelong. Um, and that about wraps up my you know, performances while I'm out here. a list of seven topics and I ask you to choose one of them and tell us something about it. The topics are musical equipment, recording equipment, poetry, Patti Smith, punk rock, death and politics. So Liz, can you please tell us a thing? I'm going to have to go with musical equipment only because I am a collector of musical equipment, uh, more specifically hardware synthesizers and drum machines. So, cool. yeah, <laughs> back in my uh, home studio over in Brooklyn, I I have um, a little collection that I'm really proud of and slowly growing. <laughs> um, some of my standout pieces of gear would have to be uh, the Moog One, which is the most incredible synth. Um, Deckard's Dream, which is the same circuitry as the Yamaha CS80s, which is what Blade Runner, the original Blade Runner, was um, uh, composed with. I also use a Moog DFAM. DFAM stands for Drama from Another Mother, which is hilarious. Half the <laughs> reason why I bought it, I had no idea what it was. I was like, this sounds hilarious. I'm just going to give that a go. <laughs> Turns out it's my favorite thing. Um, it's a semi-modular percussion synth. It also has a sequencer in it. So what it means is like I can sculpt these percussive sounds from scratch and it, it allows me to get some really crazy, like gritty, um, percussive textures. I use it on every single track. It, it's, um, on every song in the bad boy EP as well. It's just such a little beast and it's tiny it's like the size of a little laptop um what else do i have musical equipment see it I, sounds I like you up... have a real playground <laughs> i do yeah and that's, and that's so really cool. what i need i need that because i i feel like that's how my brain works best if i if i approach something as um you know a game or just something that's silly and fun then then i'm i get out of my own way you know um I can just really feel quite free and let and it have flow. Fun with it. Yeah. I um have a weird question related to this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I don't have synthesizers, but I have guitar pedals. Mm -hmm. Um and I saw a video a while ago showing uh what the different types of guitar pedals do, like uh when you can visualize the sound wave. Mm -hmm. uh, and it sort of shows how it modulates the sound wave for like uh, mm. distortion or, or a synthesizer pedal. Do you think about the shapes of the sounds at all? Um, 
No, not really. Not when I'm crafting the sound. Like when I'm using the synth, I don't, I don't visualize a shape. Um, even though I am quite a visual person and tactile person, I, I don't know. I, for some reason, my brain doesn't go there. Um, okay. When I'm working in the box though with a plugin, that's when I will use the shape of the waveform or the oscillator to kind of dictate what sound I'm after because you can right. kind of sculpt that um, within certain plugins. But yeah, with hardware, it's more about uh, feel, movement, um, and using my ear just to kind of right. listen out for texture. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, uh, as I said, it sounds like you have a cool playground at your disposal and it's led to some really great music and we hope that we hear more over the coming years from Brooks. Uh, mm -hmm. But thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's really been a pleasure having a chat to you today. Thanks for having me. Rock is proudly produced in the Sydney studios of Do As We Are 107.3.